Judges 15, later on at the time of wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but her father would not let him go in. I was so sure you hated her, he said, that I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told, Samson, the Timonite son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. Samson said to them, Since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slashed body of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Eton. The Philistines went up and camped in Judas, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, Why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etham and said to Samson, Don't you, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. They said to him, Well, you, you've, uh, come to tie, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, Swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered, We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and led him up the rock and led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, Samson. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone from a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, With a donkey's jawbone I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramah-Lehi. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given me your this great victory. Must I now die of truth? <laughs> Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called in Hakor, and it is still there in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Well, looking, uh, thinking about Samson this week, I, 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 I was, I was tempted to finish him off this week. <laughs> but no, we'll, uh, we'll go one more week on Samson. Here, here's the sad part. Now, Samson's life is the classic tragedy. And uh, another one in the Bible is the first king, King Saul. Uh, they start out well, and uh, there's no reason for things to go badly, but things go terribly. And uh, the flaw is within them. And uh, with Samson, it is his, uh, let's call it his desires, or just to do what he wants to do rather than serve God and uh, live a godly life. His passions get the better of him. And in this chapter, it's his passion for revenge 
and his passion to get even, and, uh, and he's mad, and uh, it gets the better of him. of him. In Saul's case, it is his pride and uh, his unwillingness to be humble before God, and it destroys his life and it destroys his family. Uh, Samson, uh, here's the sad part. The tribe of Dan is teetering. That's, that's Samson's tribe. It's teetering. And it is close to collapsing and being wiped out. The Philistines are too strong for them. And Samson should have been the spiritual leader to stand up and lead the tribe of Dan. First of all, in, in, in physical success, but most importantly, to spiritual success. But by the end of the book of Judges, not only has Dan been hurt physically, they are destroyed spiritually. And they return to idol worship. And Dan is so decimated, they actually move. And Dan is over by the Philistines, and the entire tribe moves to the north end and Israel, as far north as they can get. And there they set up a golden calf, and there they tell Israel, this is the God who led you out of Egypt. And that's the last you hear of Dan. Dan becomes insignificant, and it's wiped out. Samson should have been their spiritual leader. But as you read the story of Samson, he is not spiritual, much less a spiritual leader. And Dan is destroyed. If you read the rest of the book of Judges, uh, Dan's not the only tribe to almost be completely wiped out. The tribe of Benjamin is also almost completely wiped out. And Benjamin and Dan become the smallest two tribes. They become almost insignificant on the tribal landscape. And uh, that's because of the days of the judges. Now that's the overview. It's a classic tragedy. And in a tragedy, everyone dies in the end. That's going to happen to Samson. Uh, notice some things in the text. Um, in chapter 14, Samson marries a Philistine woman in Timnah. And when he goes down, he makes a bet and wagers with 30 individuals. If they can guess his riddle, he will give them 30 new sets of clothing. They can't come up with the riddle. But they pressure his wife. And they said, unless you get the, unless you get the solution to the riddle, we're going to burn you and your father alive. So she coaxes Samson, gets the solution to the riddle, tells it to her friends. They tell it to Samson. Now Samson owes 30 new sets of clothes. He gets it by going down to Ashkelon, a Philistine city, killing 30 Philistines and taking their clothes as payment for his bet, a bet he should never have made. He's so angry, he leaves his wife and he goes home. The father figures the marriage is over. Gives the wife to one of the companions. We pick up the story now in chapter 15. As Samson is going back to get, see his wife again, whom he has left, but has been married off to someone else. He shows up, I'm going to my wife's room. 
He won't let her in. He says, I'm so sure you hated her. Verse 2, I gave her to your, I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. I think the father just tried to avert any problems. And so he's willingly giving up his daughter to avert any problems. Verse 3, Samson said, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. This time I have a right. I will really harm them. Personally, I don't know how much of a right he's got. But in his mind, he's been, he's been done poorly by. And now he's going to get even. So he runs out and catches 300 foxes. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> right? Foxes are hard to catch. <laughs> that's, why they're, that's why they're called wily foxes. But he gets 300 of them and ties them tail to tail sets a torch in the middle of the tail and of course they're afraid of the fire and they run tells you in verse 1 that it's harvest time and so the countryside of the Philistines the wheat harvest is burning I have, uh, I have often thought that uh, if um, Al Qaeda wanted to be nasty to us the simplest way to do it would just be go, go throughout Canada and set forest fires all over the place. It's low-tech, easy to do, caused tremendous devastation to us, and uh, I, th I, think that's what they, I, th I think that's what they should do if they want to get even with us. Don't tell them I said that. That's what Samson does. Here's an easy way to get back at them at har harvest time, it's, so it's dry. And uh, instead of running around himself, he lets his little foxes run around. He's got 150 little agents out there burning down fields. And uh, it, it's funny, he does even better than he expected. Because notice what it says happens in verse 5. He burned the shocks. That's the grain that's been harvested. He burns the standing grain. And he also gets the vineyards and the olives. Wow, that's even better than he expected. Right? I don't just get the grain. I get, I get their entire crop. Uh, that's called payback. Give away my wife. Wait till you see what I do. Verse 6. The Philistines. Who did this? Because his wife was given to his companion. So now comes payback from the Philistines. So the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. You're going to destroy all our crops. This family's the problem. They're killed. Verse 7. Samson said to them, notice what Samson says. Since you've done this, since you've acted like this, I swear I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. So now revenge begets revenge, begets revenge. Verse 8. He attacked them viciously. A weird Hebrew phrase. Uh, leg, leg on, leg on thigh, or thigh, thigh against leg. It's the only, only place in the Bible it's, Bible it's found, and it's hard to know what it means. And so maybe it means viciously. He attacked them viciously, and slaughtered many of them. A great striking takes place. So you kill two of them, I kill many of you. Verse nine. 
The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. The people of Judah asked, Why have you come to fight us? We've come to take Samson prisoner to do to him as he did to us. We're just doing to him what he's done to us. Nothing else. This is justice. Um, Notice verse 9. The Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. So now the Philistines, they've kind of bypassed Dan. And now now it's Judah's problem, another tribe. And they're spreading out through the hills. And uh, he has burned all their grain and their vineyards and vines. And so now I think the Philistines have spread out and they're taking back all the produce that you've just destroyed. They've spread out through the whole countryside. Well, now Judah's upset. <laughs> What's, what, why are the Philistines doing this? Verse 11. 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Don't you realize the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? Answer, Samson says, I just did to them what they did to me. They did it to me, I I did it back. Verse 12, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes, led him up from the rock. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. So it's kind of like fabric that's been burned. Very weak. He just busts it. And finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. And, uh, of course, you know he's a Nazarite. Nazarites cannot touch dead bodies. Uh, So in this passage, the way he has destroyed his Nazarite vow... He has tied together foxes. Foxes are unclean animals. He should not have been foxes. He has killed people. And uh, I suppose a Nazarite can kill people, but when you do that, your, your vow should be ended. You should cut off your hair, and you should restart your vow. Samson never does that. And of, and of course, then when he kills, well, he actually uses the fresh jawbone of a donkey, another dead thing with which he kills people, a thousand. And uh, when that was done, he should have gone to the tabernacle and shaved off his hair and restarted his vow. Samson does nothing according to the way the Bible tells you you should do it. Um, As I was thinking about this, I thought, one of the the lessons for us is uh, this idea of a tit-for-tat set of events and revenge. Not only was it wrong in Samson's day, it's especially wrong for those of us who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, where one set of events triggers another one, and I, ha- I now have to get even. In fact, Samson even says, I'm free this time. I'm without guilt to do evil to them. And it's like a Charles Bronson movie where you just get mad and get even. 
In fact, we even have a saying, don't get mad, get even. Have you heard that before? I did, a word, I, did a, I did an internet search on don't get mad, get even. It's actually the title for a song from a group called Samson, a heavy metal group. <laughs> and I thought, how does Samson have a title song, don't get mad, get even? Well, Samson was the name of the singer of the group or the guitar player. It, it's not biblical in any way. And they're not the only heavy metal group that has that song title. Don't get mad, get even. There were a number of heavy metal rock groups who love that idea. Don't get mad, get even. That's the way of the world. Especially appealing to young men. Don't get mad, get even. Now, by the way, that is, that is the way human beings think. So one of the spurious Gospels, the gospel of, gospel of Thomas, Infancy Gospel of Thomas, and when I say spurious Gospels, it's stories made up in the 2nd or 3rd century A.D. after the time of Jesus. And some of the stories that they make up are about the childhood of Jesus because we don't know, we, we know very little. And so here's one of the stories made up about Jesus. I, I've read this to you before. When Jesus was five years old, he was playing at the ford of a brook. He, de- he gathered together into the water that flowed by and made it at once clean and commanded it by his word alone. But the son of Annas the scribe was standing there with Joseph. He took a branch and he dispersed the water which Jesus had gathered together. When Jesus saw what he had done, He was enraged and said to him, You insolent, godless dunderhead. What harm did the pools and the water do to you? See now you also shall wither like a tree and shall bear neither leaves nor root nor fruit. And immediately that lad withered up completely. Jesus departed and went into Joseph's house. Now that makes sense to a human. Makes sense to a human that you've messed something of mine up, now I'm going to get even with you, and you deserve what you get. That is not the gospel. That is certainly not Jesus Christ. For instance, Jesus says this, Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Not do unto other, others as they have done to you. Do to them as you would have them do. The same passage. He says this, You have heard that it was said, Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Now, by the way, that is a legal principle found in the Bible. And what it means is it means you do an appropriate justice to what somebody has done. So if they steal $100, you don't cut off their arm. If you steal $100, you get $100 out of them. Work for the $100, somehow pay back the $100. That's eye for an eye justice. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, 
This is for the Christian. Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. To the one who asks you, do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Um, when, I was in, when I was in high school, <coughs> I got this right one time. Actually, I was not a fighter. We were playing basketball. And we used to play basketball every morning and every lunchtime. And we would have, have ads in the gym. We were always playing. And one game I was playing, and I was in, I was in grade 9, and uh, I beat a guy that was in grade 11, and I hurt him when I beat him. And he was mad. And so afterwards, he met me in the hallway, and we were standing in a group. And he came up to me, and he pushed me down to the ground. And now I'm laying on the ground, and I thought to myself, I should get up and hit this guy. <laughs> or else he might do it again. And another part of me said, well, you got him, now he's got you. We're even. And for some reason, when I got up, I didn't say anything. Got it right. I should have said, you know something? I'm sorry for what I did. I should have said, I'm sorry for what I did. Jesus has forgiven me. We're square. I didn't say anything. But too often, it just goes from one to the other and on and on, and it doesn't stop until you're entrenched in hatred and you're mad at each other, and it's difficult to bring those things back. Often this happens in marriages. You always go one, sometimes you go one step too far. You say one too many things that's too hurtful, and it's difficult to come back. One, one woman writes to David Hawkins. She says, my husband gets angry so easily, always blames it on the other person, and he defends his actions by saying, I'm just doing what they did to me. While he may be right, I don't like his actions and think they just fuel his fire. What do you suggest I say to him? He, he answers, sadly, your husband's trying to do what so many others do, get even. And people believe they have the right to do this because the other person did something wrong to them first. They believe they're enacting justice. We're inclined to get even because we believe we've been treated unfairly. We believe there's a right way to behave, and if others violate it, they should be corrected. We believe we're self-righteous and others are not, and we gain satisfaction when we mete out the deserved punishment. So what should happen? First of all, practice the golden rule. Do unto, unto us as you would have them do to you. Luke chapter 6. Practice adding insight to injury. And practice not taking things personally. Now, by the way, Samson takes everything personally. In fact, almost everything that Samson does is because what has been done to him. He should have been practicing justice for his country and for his countrymen. And he never thinks about them. The Apostle Paul 
in Romans chapter 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, the story goes on. Samson strikes down a thousand men. In verse 16, he comes up with a little ditty. Samson, Samson said, with the donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With the donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. Samson was a trash talker. <laughs> and uh, he, he comes up with a little ditty, and I, I think we have it in our Bible because people around the countryside are repeating this. Now, did you hear what Samson did? Here's what he said after he did it. Oh, that's so funny. When he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramoth Lehi, Jawbone Hill. And because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord. Now, by the way, this is the most religious thing that Samson ever does. Right here. He's thirsty, and he's dying of thirst. You have given your servant this great victory. He's right. God has done it. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? When I first read, read that, I started laughing. You're the one that keeps putting yourself in the hands of the uncircumcised. <laughs> You're going down there, down there deliberately to marry them. You'll go down there to meet the prostitute in the next chapter. You're the one that will be with Delilah. You, you've done this. But now he says to God, don't let me die of thirst. And let the Philistines get me. God answers his request. That's grace and mercy. God opened up the hollow place in Lehi and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called En-Hakor, spring of the collar, or the collar's spring. And it is still there in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Uh, three things and three things in closing. Let me be quick. Samson is an illustration of what it is to be possessed with all kinds of spiritual gifts without spirit without the appropriate spiritual character. He has all the gifts of God without the godliness. So in First Corinthians twelve, the apostle Paul says, "Eagerly desire the greater gifts." That is the gifts that will help people. And yet he goes, yet I will show you the most excellent way. What's the most excellent way? The way of love. So he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong. And if you could put it to Samson's way, if I have strength to do all kinds of wonderful things and beat all kinds of kinds of people down, but if I don't have love, I don't have anything. Because here's how he says, here's what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. The way of love. Now, this week I read about uh, two stories uh, that could have been tragedies. Stories that started out well, turned poorly, but turned out very well. One was John McCain. Story of John McCain, he, he was a playboy pilot. <laughs> a playboy pilot, he had the world by its tail until he was shot down over North Vietnam, taken prisoner. And the playboy pilot became the chaplain of the other prisoners that he was captured with. Because in his youth, he had gone to church and he had memorized scripture. And now he was the one who recited scripture to the other prisoners. And uh, that stuck with him. It's funny. He found his faith in a North Vietnam prison and it changed his life. It could have been just another tragedy. And it ended up being a great, great American, great, uh, great Christian story. I remember hearing somebody when John McCain was running for president, they said, I would vote for him just because he was a prisoner of war for five and a half years and he still wants to serve his country. <laughs> what a wonderful thing. The other one was the story of the man by the name of Michael Vick, a quarterback in the National Football League, and uh, he, made, he made front page because Michael Vick... Uh, just signed a huge contract, a $130 million contract. And yet every Tuesday, his day off, he was driving home where he had a farm and he was training dogs to fight other dogs. And when the dogs would lose, he would shoot the losers. And he got caught. And he got sentenced to jail. And he kept thinking, when they sentenced me to jail, it's not going to be real prison. They're just going to send me away for a few weeks, and then they'll let me go. He got sent away for 23 months. Shocking. While he was in jail, he declared bankruptcy. But while he was in jail... Now, it could have been, that could have been it. It could have been a tragic story. A man with the greatest gifts fallen but while in jail he remembered his roots took out his bible put it under his bed began reading it and he read it every day came back to the lord uh, tony dungy visited him visited him in prison well-known christian uh, visited him and uh, now is a great friend of his and uh, Michael Vick came out of prison, a changed man and a follower of Christ. And it's funny because now he is the spokesman for the Humane Society of the United States. <laughs> they thought, here's the perfect representative. And uh, could have been a terrible tragedy. But uh, lives given back to the Lord. As we sit around the Lord's table... And I was thinking about this message and revenge and uh, striking back someone who, who hurts us. 
Jesus Christ, of course, is our example. And here's what it says in 1 Peter 2. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not, did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Injustice of it. That Jesus would die on the cross and my sins would be on him. Be on the tree. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We have a great Savior who, using great saving techniques, has won for us a wonderful salvation where all our sins are taken away. Let's look to the Lord.